Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit, and he trims any branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You were already trimmed because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit, and in this way prove that you are my disciples. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest and the rest of us are seated. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace and... We're going to be talking about joy this morning, and I can't help but think about the dissonance between the word joy and the reality of the world so often. I mean, I'm I'm reminded this week that we live in a time in which Christ has come and new life is being birthed among us. I mean, we are dedicating children, and yet, as even as Beth was praying, there's the reality of violence and of homes being burned, um, and, and things being lost in this tremendous amount of sadness. And then I think that what we need as the people of God is to be able to hold both of those and, and before God and to give thanks and also to, to lament and ask that God would, would do something. Um, so this morning, as, as before we talk about joy, I'd like to acknowledge before God with all of you that that God needs to breathe new life into this world. And I think one of the ways in which he breathes that new life is through us. So would you please pray with me? Um, God, I, I bring before you I bring before you the realities of this world in which you need to, to breathe your new life. Where there is violence, Father, we need peace. Where there is mental unrest and unhealth, there needs to be healing. God, where there are fires raging, God, there needs to be fires put out. Where there are homes burning, there are people who need homes. 
where things are lost, God, people need to be found and, and lives need to be restored. God, I ask that by your power that you would do these things. God, I ask that by your power that you would mobilize and move in the people who know you, the people who are so close to those tragedies that they might be mobilized, that they might feel compelled to be your breath to the people who need to feel your breath. That people would be your life where there needs to be life. People would be your peace where there is violence. People would be healers where there is destruction and sadness. God, thank you that you have called us out as your people, as your sons and daughters, to bear witness to you, to the hope, to the life that is found in you. So God, we ask that you would, that you would do what you do, that there would be new creation, that there would be new life, even in the midst of, of what seems so dark and so tragic. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My, my brother-in-law has a friend, um, a pastor actually, in Westlake Village. And, and I was texting my brother-in-law. I was trying to get a hold of this pastor. His name's Dave. And he, just to ask, how has, has his church been affected at all? What happened in Thousand Oaks in, in the shooting? And, um, and he texted back and he said, well, there were, two, there were two students, part of the church, that they got out safely. But, current, but right now, Dave and his family are being evacuated because of the fires that are happening. And I was just thinking, like, in the week in which I'm preparing on joy, how do you do that? I mean, how do you talk about um, what it means to be people who are filled with, with joy and experience that? And, I th- and we're in a series called Becoming, in which we're looking at these four different ways in which God might want to be forming us, shaping us into people who are marked by humility, trust, hope, and joy. And that God and Christ is concerned with the type of people we're becoming, maybe even more so than the things that we do or the things we say we believe. That, that Christ is wanting to work his life into us and through us for the sake of the world. And we've looked at how there's both like this kind of vertical dimension between each of these and this horizontal dimension. That my humility is in connection to God and my relationship to him, but also it, it kind of works itself out in this horizontal plane with all of you and with all of us. And as I was thinking about joy, Rich Rollins last week spoke on joy, and I thought he did a really helpful job of, of connecting it really to these other virtues, these other qualities, and, and in particular to hope that joy isn't so much necessarily like this positive outlook or this wonderful attitude, but it's this, this deep sense of rootedness in trust in who God is, and in hope of who God is and who he will be. Well, I'd like this morning to kind of talk about joy and how it might relate to our experience with one another. Um, and it's one of those things, and, and Rich said this last week, that he could talk about, he could give you some sort of theological treatise on the Trinity in a way that would be easier than talking about joy. Um, he's not wrong. Joy is tough to talk about because I feel like, if, if, what is it? Like, and I actually had to email people who I consider joyful to say, how do you think about joy? I feel totally 
ill-equipped to talk about joy. Um, and, and I got some feedback, and I got some responses that I'll share later. But as I was thinking about joy, I was reminded of Brene Brown. Now, if you don't know who Brene Brown is, she's a sociologist. She writes a lot about vulnerability and, and what it looks like to kind of be engaged with one another. And she says this about joy. She says, joy is the most vulnerable experience or emotion that we experience. Joy is the most vulnerable emotion that we experience. And she actually says that, that if we're not able to tolerate joy, then what will actually happen is it will become kind of like a, a dress rehearsal for tragedy. And she, she talks about it as foreboding joy. And this is the example she gives, and I actually think it's really helpful. She gives the example of a parent who, and I don't know if some of you are parents, you know this, that the most wonderful time of being a parent is when your children are asleep. And so, because um, she gives this example of walking into to the bedroom, seeing your children asleep, and just being overwhelmed by the sense of whatever that might be, joy, gratitude. And she says that it's actually then easy to kind of bypass that and then to cut it off by imagining or preparing yourself for what can happen. She says, like, imagining the worst sort of, of, of car accident or tragedy in which that, that child might be taken away. She says that, that we don't allow ourselves to actually experience joy. We don't allow ourselves to have the courage to experience joy because it's simply something we don't want to be let down about later. If we let ourselves feel all that there is to feel in a moment like that, then at some point it might be taken away. So kind of what was the point? And I think that's really helpful in thinking about this sense of joy and and it being a vulnerable emotion, perhaps the most, she says, that we can ever experience. But But as I think about people in my life and I think about joy, I do feel like, and I've heard this conversation here at Grace, right, like we need to be more joyful, we need to have more joy here. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but sometimes I wonder, what are we talking about? Are we talking about we, just, we need to be more positive? We need to be more excited? We need to smile more? Like when we use this type of language, we need to be more of something. What are we exactly getting at? And I found the work of this guy named Richard Beck. He's a Christian theologian, but also psychologist. And he talks about this, this difference between people, be, like between the summer Christians and the winter Christians. And he says that, that there's actually like a, we might be predisposed to a certain type of way of being in the world. And in some of the responses about joy that I got back, people would say this, they would make this move. But some, you know, here are my thoughts on joy, but I just wonder if people are more inclined to it than others. And the five people I emailed, I think all five of them said something like that. And Richard Beck would actually agree. So he says there's this kind of way of being in the world, and you kind of have this horizontal access from low complaint to high complaint, and this vertical access from high communion or connection, and low communion and low connection. And he says this. So people are just kind of predisposed to being some way. So summer Christians would be people who, honestly, they just, they love all of it. Like, they're so stoked on, on, um, on every single thing. They're the people who, who walk into a room and are able, even, or even in like the, the hardest type of circumstances, they're able to see the good. I mean, you know these people, right? I know these people. 
And it's sometimes you're like, <laughs> can you just go away? Because you're <laughs> smiling way too much. But then there's like the winner Christians, right? These are the Christians who kind of who look at the world and they see all the things that need to be changed. They see all the hurt, all the ways in which people are suffering. And they're the people who walk into a room, and when people can be stoked and excited about something, this person is able to find, the Debbie Downer, right, is able to kind of come in there and, and make a comment that kind of just brings the mood a little bit down. And Richard Beck actually suggests, well, maybe it isn't about making summer Christians more winter Christians or making winter Christians more summer Christians. He's like, actually, the point is what you're doing with that sort of emotion or feeling, and, and the orientation of that feeling. He says a person who might be of high complaint, who might be predisposed to lament, and I've heard people come into this church and say, man, this church is just such a, it's a bummer. I mean, people are just lamenting all the time. Um, and uh, but we just need more excitement and more happiness. But what Richard Beck is saying, but it's what we're doing with that. Is our lament just an opportunity for us to complain to one another and gripe about what's going on? Or is it actually directed toward the one who will take our lament and respond to it? The one who, in our lament, can actually reshape us and reform us. He says, if that's the case, that's actually good and healthy spirituality. And perhaps some of us are more predisposed to it. But the shadow side is, if it's not directed toward God, if there isn't high connection to God or even to other people in the midst of that lament, will you end up becoming as something like a spiritual critic? You're not engaging God. You're not engaging other, other people. You're just kind of holding everything at arm's length. Now, on the other hand, he says some are Christians take, needing to take that gratitude and thankfulness and that kind of positive disposition and, and move it and direct it toward God in thanksgiving and praise. And if you don't do that, then otherwise you might become a disengaged believer, somebody who just thinks that the world is wonderful. I think of James, right? Where it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, somebody who's a disengaged believer might say, we're not being persecuted. What are you talking about? Things are great. Everything's wonderful. Where they'd be like, no, this is, this is tragic and difficult. So to be disengaged from the world as somebody who's still positive is not to be moving toward high connection with God, high connection to the world, where actually your experience, true experience of what is going on is shaping your engagement with God. And the same needs to be true of those of us who might be winter Christians, where we are just kind of able to see where things need to be better where God needs to work. What are we doing with that lament? Are we holding things at arm's length, or are we actually engaging God and one another in that? Now, as somebody who's probably more inclined to being something like a winter Christian, um, this is kind of where I was thinking about in terms of joy. And I was thinking about this temptation that I think we have, and I think it's, I don't know if it's, I'm not technically a millennial, all right, I'm an exennial, apparently. I don't know. That's what they call me. But um, in between. But millennials, I think, have a disposition toward being spiritual critics. That there's this sense, and even winter Christians, there's this that can become these people where you see all of the wrong, and you see the things that need to change, and you actually become something like a cynic. Right? 
And I do think that cynicism is the opposite of joy. I think if we are called to be people who are marked by joy, cynicism is the thing that actually can, can erode that feeling of joy. Because cynicism is so easy. And joy takes courage. What cynicism does is you basically have your arm's length and say, you know what, the world is, is the worst the church is terrible. Christians, I don't even think I connect with them anymore. Who am I? You kind of hold things at arm's length, and you become cynical toward them, and there's, there's no engagement with God or with one another, and you end up playing it safe. You end up playing it safe instead of engaging and connecting and perhaps leaning into the possibility of, of something like joy, this trust and hope in who God is. And so this is kind of the backdrop of how I'd like for us to think about John 15. Because if we think about John 15, what John 15 does is it connects joy, whether you're a winter Christian or a summer Christian, into this high communion, this high connection with God and with each other. So if you want to turn your Bibles to John 15, you can do that. It's on page 901. Because John 15 suggests this, that out of a connected life with Jesus, and even with others, something like joy is possible. John 15, 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's really fascinating. I've read this text so many times. I love um, John 15, but I've never really thought of it in light of joy. And yet it seems, to, Jesus seems to suggest everything he has said up until verse 11 is for the purposes of his joy being in us and that our joy might be full. And if you read the language, it's all about being connected to Jesus. He uses the image of a vine, right? Being connected to the vine. This word's like abiding. Abiding in Christ. Abide in me and I will abide in you. This image of bearing fruit, that something will be produced as a result of this connectedness and being a part of, of the one who is called Jesus, who is nourishing our life. That out of this connectedness, this abiding with Christ, that something like joy will work itself out in our lives. And now, it might seem obvious but joy is impossible if we're not abiding in Jesus. Joy is impossible if we're not connected to Christ. And notice whose joy we're talking about. It's Christ's joy. It's the joy that Christ is going to work out in you. When I hear language like, you just need to be more joyful, I think you're probably right. But I don't know how to do that. And the Bible seems to suggest that it's not just a decision you make one day, oh, I'm going to be joyful today. I think that there are habits and practices that we can kind of live into that make it possible for Christ to produce joy in us, but it's the work of God in our lives that makes it possible for us to be joyful people. It's Christ's joy. Galatians 5 talks about it as the, the fruit of the Spirit 
is joy. Not the fruit of your optimism or the fruit of your smiles or the fruit of your wanting to have a good time. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy. It's God's work in our lives that produces joy. That is what makes it possible. And it's so important to see that connection. Otherwise, it becomes about something else, something like positivism or something like just, just having like a Pollyanna attitude. No, it's actually Christ's work in your life. So if you see people in your life and you think in the church that they're extremely joyful, I bet that Christ is doing a work in their life. Ask them what God is up to. Ask them what God might be doing in their life. What type of fruit is he bearing in their experience and in their story? And I, and I wonder if there might be something there for us to consider as a people of God, is to be connected to Jesus so that we might experience joy. So I mentioned before that I asked people about their thoughts on joy. And they made some interesting connections, and, and I'm going to read some of them and then kind of make some remarks on what I felt like the themes were, or at least some of the common themes that arose. So people I asked, um, I asked my friends Aaron Karam, Shannon Morganson, Sue Sadler, Dana Stump, about how they think about joy. Honestly, my question was so nebulous. It's like, so, joy. No, it's like, it's, what do you think about joy? When you think about joy, what comes to mind? And I just wanted to read some of the things that they said because I felt like that, that, I don't know, I was really touched by them. And when you're limited and you, like, when you don't experience or you don't know how to talk about joy, then you ask other people to help you with your sermons. That's how it works. Um, so this is what Erin Karam said. She said, I guess it's seeing God's goodness, beauty, love, generosity creep out and pop up everywhere, even when there's ugliness, sadness, pain. I do think I have to pause and make sure I'm attentive to God's beauty, his humor, his love. And if I believe that neither height, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, doesn't that make you crack a smile? Shannon Morgan said, said this, I think living out of joy is being able to see the good or potentially good in all people in all situations. And I think more often than not, a person with joy always knows that the ultimate good and the filler of joy is here with us, orchestrating something magnificent that can be celebrated no matter what. Now, if you don't know Shannon and Aaron, they're sisters, and you should hang out with them because they make a room light up, and there's something going on in that family that I want. Um, and Sue Sadler, Sue, Sue Sadler works in the children's ministry, and she's not here this morning in, in the service, but we were having an inner email exchange back and forth. Now, Sue has an incredible story, and there's no way I can go into all of her story, but she, if you talk with Sue, you know that here is a person who is living within the deep well of joy that Jesus offers. And it's, it's not come easy. And, and there are things that she's endured and things that she's gone through that would be easy for somebody to be cynical about. Sue Sadler, opposite of cynicism. 
She says this joy is deep-seated. It has very little to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with transformed thinking and habits. This sense, right, of transformed thinking and habits, and it's deep-seated, and she embodies that. Dana Stump, somebody who has earned in my book the ability to talk about joy. She says, I associate joy with thankfulness. When we are thankful for all that we have, it also brings joy in our life. And here is somebody who, and her family, who has suffered deep tragedy and loss, and yet is able to talk about joy. When we are thankful for all that we have, it also brings joy in our life, she says. And I know this will sound corny, but I also associate joy with Jesus. That doesn't sound corny. It sounds right. He alone has gotten me through the last 18 months. I'm not saying that Dan and my girls and family and friends have not helped and given me joy all along the way, but I would not have made it without being in the Word every day. There's this sense in which Dana has been nourished by Jesus, and it's that nourishment that has made it possible for her to to experience joy in the midst of such loss and able to to have this deep-seated sense of Christ being with her. It's a beautiful thing. Some of the things that I think come up in all of these examples of what people shared with me about their experience of joy is this ability to see, this ability to kind of attend to what's going on, um, to, to name the world as they see it, and not just in reference to how they feel about it, but to how they experience Christ through it. And it seems very John 15 to me, because you have this talk about abiding, right? You have this talk about about being so connected to Jesus, this talk about bearing fruit. And that idea of abiding and attending has something to do with with being able to see and to notice and to name. To name the work of God as as it's being shown and worked out in their presence. But there's also another thing that's connected for them. It's this sense of gratitude. In each of the things that they said, there's this, this way of being in which they are grateful. And so I can't think about joy without thinking about it in its relationship to, being, to having gratitude. So joy and gratitude are absolutely connected. But there's also the sense, if we think about John 15 for a minute, Jesus is talking to whom? His disciples. So all of this language about you and abiding isn't, isn't individual language. He's talking to a group of his followers. And when he talks about his joy being in you, I think he's talking about his joy being in the people who are following after Jesus. So one of the things that also came out in their language is this idea of joy not just being a, like an individual experience, but being so deeply connected to our way of life together. Now, that means that my joy and your joy are connected. It means that my experience of joy in life 
I need you in that experience. And in your experience of joy in life, you need me. It's about being connected to Jesus, not as individuals, as much as it is as being connected to Christ together. This abiding language, how are we together as the people of God abiding in Christ? That my relationship to Jesus is somehow connected mysteriously to your relationship to Jesus and vice versa. This isn't like an individual affair. This language of joy, this language of of actually having fruit being born out of our lives, it's a corporate communal reality. Jesus is saying, look it, I have said these things so that my joy would be in us, in you, and that our joy, that your joy will be complete. How cool is that? Is that our lives are interconnected and that my experience and my relationship to Jesus is connected to yours. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And so what does that mean in terms of being grateful? It means that we as a community, together, as individuals, but also together, that we, I think, need to press in, lean in to being people who are marked by gratitude. Now, going back to Brene Brown, when she talks about this foreboding joy, right, which I think is also can be synonymous with a sense of, like, of cynicism, she says that the antidote to that is gratitude. It's cultivating a habit, as Sue said it, right, a transforming habit of being grateful, of being grateful together, of being able to see and attend to the things that God is doing among us and to voicing those and to naming those to one another and before God. I think if we want to be a community who's rooted in joy, experiencing the the full joy that Christ says he wants to give us, a way to begin is to be grateful. A way to begin is to receive what we've been given as gift. Our relationships, this church, this place, our families, our friends, that there are so many things to be grateful for, to acknowledge God's work among us in our life, the fruit that is actually being cultivated That will be, I think, a way into joy. Anne Lamott says this. She says, gratitude not understanding is the secret to joy. Gratitude not understanding is the secret to joy. What does she mean by that? And it's something Rich touched on last week, that it's easy to think, well, I'll be joyful if I know how it all comes together and makes sense and why everything has happened the way it has happened. And Anne Lamott suggests, no, it's actually being grateful that's the secret to joy. Because understanding is often not even possible. How do we understand the things that have happened this week? How do we understand the tragedies that that we have undergone even together as a family or as a community and many of you as families? You can't understand how those things happen and why. But there is a sense in which Gratitude can be cultivated, not for the tragedy itself, but what actually begins, what happens, what takes place even in the midst of it. I remember talking to Dana, and we were, we were together um, uh, it, at a, in, a, in the midst of a different tragedy, not her own. And, and she made a comment in which she said, like, you know, these are the things, these are the moments when, you, when God shows you like the people who are around you. These are the moments that kind of bring you back 
to God. That her understanding, her way of even being able to see that was, was this sense of this orientation to how God is even present in the midst of something that you cannot understand. Gratitude, not understanding, is the secret to joy. And the Bible says this all the time. The Bible connects thanksgiving with joy and with praise. Um, Colossians 3 says this, The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly, teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Leaning into gratitude may be a way in which the work of God will produce in us this wonderful joy, this joy that isn't simply like this this positive outlook on life, but is a deep-seated rootedness in who God is, an ability to receive life as, life as gift. Joy as the antidote to perhaps what has been named here is this, like a spirit of criticism, this ability to be, to be cynical, perhaps being grateful for what is and the work God is doing among us might produce within us joyful hearts that will then allow us to engage and to be a part of what's going on together This is the work that God is wanting to do in us. This is the work that is possible if our lives and our hearts are open to Jesus, the vine dresser, the one on whose vine we are connected to be nourished, the one who who prunes us and grows us, the one who wants to bear fruit in our lives, the one who says to us, I say these things, so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. Thanks be to God.